So I wanted to end with looking at the family from a different perspective. Um, especially, you know, whenever I teach this class and I know people are going to be interested in talking about gender and gender equality and gender rights. And so often I think we look at the family from the wrong perspective. So allow me to take you on a little journey and then look at the family through a different set of eyes. Tell me how Heavenly Father feels about children. Tell me how Jesus feels about children. When, if we were to rank all the things of importance to God, where would children, little children, rank? Scripture, prophet, Covenant, missionary, children. Totally different category, right? Let me see if I can show you a haunting phrase. Turn with me to 3 Nephi 17. You know exactly where we're going, right? 3 Nephi 17, where Jesus blesses the children. I don't know if you've ever caught this, but this haunts me to no end as a parent. 3 Nephi 17, where Jesus gathers the children. So starting in verse 11, it came to pass that he commanded that there, uh, I lost it. There we go. He commanded that there, sorry, such, this annoys me so much. Okay. That's much better. He commanded that their little children be brought. And they brought their little children. Now, let me set the stage. Are there any murderers and robbers and child molesters at this point in Zarahemla and Bountiful? Do you remember the massive destruction? This was like the earth at the millennium. There was a cleansing and everyone that was celestial was killed. Everyone who survives was righteous, right? Living at least a terrestrial life. So are there murderers and child molesters left? No, no telestial people are left. So Jesus says, send me the children. And Jen and I send our children. Now mine are kind of, my youngest is nine, but back in the day when I had several little ones, imagine if I sent two or three of my little ones. Jesus is holding my little ones. It came to pass that when they had been brought, Jesus stood in the midst and he commanded the multitude they should kneel down upon the ground. Now what's my wife doing? She's got her phone out. She's taking pictures of Jesus with our children. You know, what a tender moment. And Jesus says, let's pray. And he groans. Jesus groans. Now tell me why he groans. See if you can see what I see. Why does he groan? There's a couple ways to read this. Father, I am troubled because of the wickedness of the people of the house of Israel. I'm, I'm troubled because of the murderers and the child molesters. That they're going to get to these innocent children. That can't be it, right? Because there are no murderers and child molesters. I think he's speaking here. Now, you could say, well, he's speaking in general. But imagine if Jesus is holding my children. 
and he groaned because of the wickedness of the house of Israel. Why is he groaning? Because of me. He's groaning because this child is in my care. Now, I don't think that's a commentary on my wickedness as much as it's a commentary on what? The children. I feel, every time I read this, I feel Jesus saying, looking at my children and then looking at me and then turning to the Father and saying, really? Are you kidding me? That's who you put in there? Really? Again, I don't think it's a commentary that he doesn't think I'm a good person. But no matter what, isn't there a hint here that he's kind of saying, you're, I'm worried you're not going to take care of these children. Even you, Bryce. Here's James and Whitney who are, who knows, close to being parents. And I, if I can extrapolate a little bit, I think these two, I think the world of these two, I think they're phenomenal. I would trust them with my, my children. But I would, I can picture Heavenly Father up going, you know, I don't know them. James and Whitney. Really, Father? It, is that where we're sending these guys? And again, I don't think it's a commentary on us as much as it's, do you feel how, do you, do you see what Jesus feels about children? Now, do I share that with him? Do I see what he sees? Sarah? I had a priesthood blessing yesterday because I've been struggling a little. And the, the man who knows and loves my kids that gave me the blessing, he paused and he said, um, I want to bless your children through you. Heavenly Father loves your kids more than you do. Yeah. So you shape know, up. Powerful. It was. It's so powerful. These are his children put in my care. I am taking his place to raise him. And don't you kind of sense Heavenly Father saying, um, really? You're not the replacement you need to be. But again, this is a commentary on children. Now, to kind of second witness that, let me share you a quotation from acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve, Boyd K. Packer, uh, before he passed away. And again, when I heard this, Uh, here it is. This shook me. This is a man, 2002. He became an apostle in 73, early 70s. He's been in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles for 30 years. He's risen to the very top. He's the acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And he said, like my brethren, I have traveled all over the world. Like my brethren, I have held positions of trust in education, in business, in government, and in the church. I have written books and like them have received honors, degrees, certificates, plaques. Such honors come with the territory and are undeserved. 
assessing the value of all of those things, the honors, the plaques, the awards, the one thing I treasure more than any of them, more than all of them put together, the thing of most value to me is, what did he say? How my children treat their children and how in turn they're going to treat their children. Isn't that fascinating that the culmination of his whole ministry, the lesson he came to, that perhaps one of the most important things we do in this life is we care for children. So I would like to end by looking at the family through a totally different lens. The child. Heavenly Father sends children into families for a reason. Now think about how that changes my perspective. If we look at the powers of procreation, if I look at them as my right, my right to express my own physical pleasure, it's a very different way to look at it than the way a child would look at it. And if we look at family from the perspective of a child and know that Heavenly Father, can, how he considers the value of a child, let's look at family through the lens of a child. Tell me what you see in the proclamation. So open up the proclamation again. And let's look at it from the perspective of the child. I think this sentence, I believe, was Heavenly Father speaking, not the prophet Sears and Revelators. I think in this sentence, they became a voice for the divine who says, let me declare the rights that my unborn children have. So tell me what rights God grants to a child. Every child has the right to. What are they? Number one? Birth. Birth. Within the bonds of matrimony. So let's extrapolate that. A child has a right to covenant making and keeping parents. I have a right that you keep your covenants, mom. Therefore, if that's from divine, if that's from God, what might be one of the purposes God gives covenants? To protect children. These covenants will protect his children. So they have a right to birth within the bonds of matrimony and to be reared by a father and a mother who honor marital vows with complete fidelity. Sometimes we look at that from the perspective of the adult. But what if we looked at family from the perspective of a child? 
Children have a right to parents who keep their covenants, who love each other. Parents have a right to a mother and a father. Now again, someday we can have a discussion about gay couples and where they fit. But Heavenly Father is saying, we need a mother and we need a father. If you had to have given up one of your parents, which one would you give up? Why do you scoff? Whitney, why do you scoff? Don't you have two? You have two kidneys. Can you give up a kidney and be just fine? Whoa, 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 wait a minute. How can you be just fine if you have two? You have a spare. Do you have a spare when it comes to parents? Now, here's the doctrine. Ready? We do not believe that equal. Oh, my goodness. That's bad. It is not our doctrine that equal. Means same. That's what sets the Latter-day Saints apart. Everyone else seems to believe that in order to be equal, you have to be the same. If you're not the same, then you're not equal. We don't believe that. That is not our doctrine. We do not believe equal means same. Give me an example. Let me give you an example. How many of you believe that bishops are more important than primary teachers? That in God's eyes, bishops are better, more valuable, and should be treated better than primary teachers. Do any of you believe that? Now, what would the world say about the position of a bishop and the position of a primary leader? We don't believe equal means same. We believe that the bishop and the primary leader are what? equals, but they're clearly not the same. Therefore, we see, we would say men and women, mothers and fathers are equal, but clearly not the same. Children need what moms typically bring to a family. So what the rest of this parable does, and again, I want to, I want to emphasize here. Um, no, 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 it's this one. This last sentence, I didn't mark it. Disability, death, or other circumstances may necessitate individual adaptation. So these are not rigid, this is the way it has to be. They need and often are to be adapted to the circumstances. But in general, children need a mom and a dad to be the most successful they can be children need a mom and a dad i don't have any markers dang it let's hear it no it's okay Disability, death, or other circumstances necessitate may necessitate individual adaptation. Is that saying 
that they don't have a mom and a dad if one of them dies. Because if families are eternal, then they should have both, regardless of whether they're both in mortal existence, correct? Correct. But if a child has lost a mother through death, today, he need, that, that dad needs some help. That dad is going to need some help. Now, does that child have a mother in eternity? Of course that child does. But wouldn't they still help? Wouldn't Certainly. Still... But can dead people help as much as living people? No. no. I disagree. The... Okay, but okay, and I understand that in different ways. But when a child needs milk, can dead people give the child milk? No. no. When a child needs food, can a dead person give the child food? No. So those things we need to adapt the mortal necessities. But nowhere in here does it say mortal. Uh, true, but they're not there. And so we're going to do our very best knowing what children need. And again, I'll leave it to every circumstance to say, my child needs this in this circumstance, so maybe I need to find some way. But what I want to focus on is what do children need? What is it that prophets, seers, and revelators have declared that children need? And if you were to boil it down to just one or two or three words, what do children need? Now, typically, we've talked, let, let's set aside the nine principles that we've already talked about. So what is it that children need? And if children need a mother and a father, typically, what is it that mom provides to the child? What do children often get from their mother. Comfort. And what's the word here? Nurture. Nurture. Now, if adaptation says, look, aunts and grandmas and maybe dad or a sister, I, we can do that. But what children need is nurturing. Define that word for me. It is one of the most, you all know what it means, right? Tell me what your mom did. Tell me what moms typically do. But define the word nurture. Tell me what nurture meant to you. It's the person who listens to you cry. Okay. There's no way I can make this list, but imagine if I tried. Listens to me cry. That's nurturing, isn't it? Now, what if a child doesn't get that? What if a child doesn't have someone that listens to them cry? Do you see why we have families? What else is nurturing? Tell me what's nurturing. James, what's nurturing to you? Someone to teach. Okay. A teacher. And not just the slap your wrist with the ruler's teacher, right? A teacher. Okay. Give me another one. What does nurture mean? Feed. Feed. In many ways. Physically, emotionally. Mentally, academically. Keep going. What does nurture mean? I need to be held, touched, mm -hmm. comforted. I need to know I'm valuable. 
Now, if circumstances require an adaptation, great. But children need to be nurtured. And usually that comes from mother. Now, what I love, anyone who thinks Heavenly Father demeans women, and because there's no women in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, that that means the church doesn't value women, doesn't understand the doctrine, because eternally speaking, who is most like a nurturer? Whose role is to nurture in our eternal lives? Every time I've ever studied, every time Jesus tries to help us understand the role of the atonement, when he compares it to the most earthly thing so that we can understand the atonement, what does he compare the atonement to? Motherhood. It's almost always compared to motherhood. Let me show you a couple of examples. Turn to Isaiah chapter 49 in the Old Testament. Go ahead, James. So I was reading um, President Nelson's, a little bit of what, what he said about Sister Holland. And he said, that is a celestial lady. And I just think, you know, the experience that they shared in one of the BYU devotionals where she grabs him by the lapels and says, we're not going back. She was very much behind him the whole way. And, you know, behind every great man is an even greater woman. And I think that's very much, you know, what President Nelson was saying is like, hey, just so you realize, behind Elder Holland is Sister Holland. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Here's the verse. Ready? Jumping in ver to verse 14. Isaiah 49, 14. In the setting of Zion saying what? In the setting of God has forsaken me. Where are you, God? And to point out that I can't forsake you, he compares himself to... Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Why is it that mothers have a such, why is it that mothers can't forget their children? Dads do all the time. Because of the price they paid. Have you ever paid a lot of money for an ex a horrible meal that you hated? So what did you do? You ate it. Why? Why did you eat it? I can't throw it away. I feel like I wasted it. So Jesus is saying, I've paid too high a price. I can't walk away like a nursing mother. In other words, you want to understand me? Look at a mother. That's the closest thing to atonement you're going to find on earth is motherhood. Let me do another one. Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, Moses chapter 6. This is my favorite one. Moses chapter 6, verse 59. No, 50. Yeah, 59. Moses chapter 6, verse 59. That by reason of transgressions cometh the fall, which fall bringeth death. And inasmuch as you were born into the world by water. Whose water? My mom's. I was encased in my mom's water. And blood, whose blood? Whose blood gave me life? My mom's blood gave me life. And the spirit, that was my spirit. I get a little credit here. 
her water, her blood, my spirit. And that's how I became of dust a living soul. Even so, you must be born again into the kingdom of heaven by water. I have to again be encased in a womb of water. But that's baptismal water. And of the spirit, that's the Holy Ghost, and be cleansed by blood. In other words, what's the closest thing to understanding atonement you'll ever find? Motherhood. And who then is in that role of nurturer? Do you see what we need? We need nurturing. And we need Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate nurturer. One more, just kind of a fun one. Let's go to uh, John chapter 16 in the New Testament. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, no, John 16, 14. I always do that. That's my... Dis- John 16... Um, where is it? 20, it's not 14. 21. Motherhood teaches a powerful lesson about atonement. When a woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because the hour is come, her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. I've watched it 10 times. It's the most amazing thing in the world to watch a woman in pain And then all of a sudden the baby gets placed in her arms and all of a sudden it's gone. Now what she's bearing testimony of is the work of the atonement. No pain you suffer. Heaven once obtained will erase the pain of getting there. Like motherhood. How does the atonement work? Well, it works like a mother. So one thing children need is nurturing. And that usually comes from mom. Mom takes the role of Jesus in the home and becomes the nurturer. Again, if we need to adapt, we'll adapt. But children need nurturing. It's almost as if Heavenly Father is saying, children have a right to be nurtured. Make sure they are. Sarah. I think something I've learned in this class is the partnership that can be in a marriage, right? Because what I keep thinking about is when you shared with us about your son that's gay and you nurtured him and you continue to nurture him because you've been with your wife so long, like you you also can do that, right? Like maybe that is her natural talent but you also get to do that, which is so beautiful. And that's why I like, I love the fuzziness here. And so for me, I don't want to focus on who does it as much as children need it. Children need to be nurtured. So let's put that one up there. Children need to be nurtured. All right, now looking at dad, what does dad typically do? What is the role of fatherhood here? (laughs) 
And provide, I think, is great. I love provide. But I think the heart and soul of fatherhood is much more than provide. I think the heart and soul of fatherhood is this word. Protect. Who made you feel safe as a child? Loved and safe. Um, in 2002, June of 2002, a very evil man broke into the home broke into a home that was not his. Where'd you, what? A very evil man broke into a home that was not his and kidnapped a 14-year-old girl. Took her up into the mountains and abused her for nine months. Now, when news broke that she was kidnapped, I had a seven-year-old daughter. Now tell me what that news just did to my daughter. Where do little girls usually feel safe? In their bedroom. Elizabeth Smart was kidnapped from her bedroom with her sister in the room. What did this little girl just find out? That she's not safe. And that is such, even today, she's 30 and she's still gets very, when she's not safe. She's very vulnerable to feelings of not being safe. So later that night, in the middle of the night, she woke up in a panic, grabbed a pillow and a blanket, crept in in mom and dad's room and slept on the floor. Now, where do you think she slept? Here's mom and dad's room. There's our door. There's our bathroom. Here's our bed. There's dad. There's mom. Look at all the room mom has. And where does she sleep? She slept right there. Now, was it the wall that made her feel safe? Where did she know? This little girl, and it terrorized me that some girls don't feel this way, but where did this little girl know? No, she would always be safe next to dad. And honestly, I think that is the most important thing that dads do is to let their children know they're safe. You are safe. Everything's going to be okay. This little girl, for example, <laughs> a couple years earlier, she couldn't go to sleep because there was a monster in her closet. So I took care of the monster. I opened up the closet and, what, what are you doing in here? And I wrestled the monster. I yelled to my wife, open the front door. My wife opened the front. And I wrestled the monster out the house, slammed the door, and said, don't you ever come back. You stay out of my daughter's bedroom. And she slept. She went right to sleep. So what did I do the next night? Over. We repeated that every single night. She wouldn't sleep until I wrestled the monster out of her closet. So one day... I was gone, and Jen was home. My wife was home when it was bedtime. Mom, I can't go to sleep. There's a monster in my closet. My wife tried to wrestle the monster out of the class, 
out of the closet. What do you think my daughter said? Mom, that didn't work. Where's dad? So my wife called me and said, Brittany won't go to sleep. There's a monster in the closet. So I was in a meeting. So I stepped out of the meeting and I said, put your phone inside the closet. And I yelled as loud as I could into the phone. You get out of my daughter's closet right now. If you're there when I come home, so help me. I will destroy you. Now go open the front door, dear. So my wife ran and opened up the front door and the monster left. And Brittany slept. And I have learned that the biggest violation for which I will be held accountable to God is if my children feel what? Unsafe. Children need to feel safe and they need to be nurtured. And I think those two are why Heavenly Father sends us into families. Now, if adaptation needs to be made, my daughter is vice president of Crumble and she makes a whole lot more money than my son-in-law. And so she's the provider in their family. They just adapt. But regardless of who does it, what do their children need just as much as my children? They need to feel safe and they need to be nurtured. I would dare say there is very few things, there are few things more important to Heavenly Father than making sure His children are nurtured and kept safe. Now, typically moms nurture and typically dads create that sense of safety. I would dare say that a couple will be held accountable to God if they do not nurture and protect their children. I love this quotation. I don't even know who W.C. Brand is, but man, I quote him all the time. He said, the place to take the true measure of a man is not in the darkest place or the amen corner nor the cornfield, but by his own fireside. There he lays aside his mask and you may learn whether he is an imp or an angel, cur or king, hero or humbug. I care not what the world says of him, whether it crowns him as boss or pelts him with bad eggs. I care not a copper what his reputation or religion may be. If his babies dread his homecoming, and his better half swallows her heart every time she has to ask him for a $5 bill. He is a fraud of the first water, even though he prays night and morning until he is black in the face. But if his children rush to the front door to meet him and loves sunshine illuminates the face of his wife every time she hears his footfall you can take it for granted that he is pure. For his home is a heaven. I can forgive much of that fellow mortal who would rather make men swear than women weep. Who would rather have the hate of the whole world than the contempt of his wife. Who would rather call anger to the eyes of a king 
than fear to the face of a child. That's what Heavenly Father's children need. They need parents who love them and keep their covenants. They need to be nourished and they need to be protected. They need to know the one place that they are safe is home. So whatever we do, however we need to adapt given different circumstances, I think we need to understand that children need nourishing and protection. You keep them safe. And I expect I expect that if I fail to make my children feel safe, if my wife and I fail to nurture and make them feel safe, then what? I will stand accountable before God. If we see family from the perspective of Heavenly Father's children, then I think it, it teaches the point. Children have a right to parents who keep their covenants, who love them, who raise them. In fact, let's get to this. James, do you mind? I'm going to flip it as we go. Parents have a sacred duty too. Parents have a sacred duty to rear their children in love and righteousness, to provide for their physical and spiritual needs, and to teach them to love and serve one another, observe the commandments of God, and be law-abiding citizens wherever they live. And then he repeats this. Go ahead. Husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, will be held accountable before God for all the discharge of these obligations. So, build a family. Build the skill sets that we've been talking about. Prayer, faith, repentance, forgiveness, love, respect, compassion, work, play. But build a place where children are nurtured and safe. Where they are loved Number two, provided for. And number three, taught. And what do they need to be taught? To love and serve others, to observe the commandments, and to be law-abiding citizens. But that's why I love these two words more than anything else. If I could just boil it down to two words, it would be these two words. Build a home where children are, what are the two words? Protected and nurtured. And that is the eternal family here on earth. And of that I testify in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.